Hello, and welcome to another episode of You Can Manage That, a podcast for first-time managers who want to level up their leadership skills. I'm your host, Chris Asper, and if you're a first-time manager who wants to learn about leadership from someone who's been a leader and now trains other leaders, then this episode's for you. I'm pleased to introduce Brett Campbell, former military officer, former pastor, and currently a corporate trainer with Dale Carnegie. Brett focuses on leadership development, team building, and public speaking. Brett, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Chris. It's uh, great to be here with you. So we're just wondering, you know, you've got, uh, I think you're my first guest that's been military, pastor, corporate. Can you share more about your transition from serving in the military, then to the business world, then to becoming a pastor and, and now a, a corporate trainer at Dale Carnegie? Yes, I'd, I'd love to start the conversation there with that journey. Uh, when I graduated college, I went into the military. I was an infantry officer with the 101st Airborne Division and was intent on being a career officer. And uh, so I did one tour. And after about the three-year mark in the United States, the Army had done a reduction in force. And in effect, I got a pink slip. I got laid off from the Army. So I went into the marketplace. I have a marketing degree. And so I worked for Genuine parts company. Some of your listeners may know it as Napa Auto Parts. And I was in their management training program for about a year, doing very well. At about the end of the year, I had a kind of a, an existential moment, really a divine providence that redirected me out of the marketplace into pastoral ministry. That was what I was supposed to do. And mm -hmm. so I did. I did that for the next 25 some years. And then about six or seven years ago, my assignment was a small church with a small budget. And eventually, based on fit and finance, uh, I was let go from that. And that, again, was a, a providential redirection that I was happy with. As much as I enjoyed pastoring, I really wanted to get, I wanted to get back into the marketplace. And I wanted to take what I'd learned for all those years into the marketplace. What did I learn? All throughout those years in pastoring, one thing was public speaking because I was having to do that all mm. the time. So I got lots of opportunities to do that. I was also involved in leadership development and so honed my skills there. And then really just problem solving. Did a lot of counseling with people who are just trying to figure out life. Those three things find their place in the marketplace as well. And so I can see that that was a prep all along for what I'm doing now, which I serve as a corporate trainer with Dale Carnegie in the Southeast. And then I also have a side business called True North to Grow. And in that business, we focus on purpose and direction, and then also helping leaders become more effective at public speaking. So you've got this view of leadership from a wide variety of industries. How are these diverse experiences, how have they influenced or changed your perspective and approach to training and leadership? So I would have initially probably because of the military, I would have initially learned a training approach that says, I talk, you listen. Definitely in the military. We used to call it a command and stand. And that was fine in the military. But as I began to get involved in pastoral ministry and then also in working with corporate clients and whatnot, it's become evident that that just is, that's not an effective approach to training. Here's the reason why. Because when you think about some of the principles of adult learning, one of those principles says that Adult learners will learn and retain information when they are actively involved in the process. In other words, they have to be active learners, not passive learners. And to be active learners, you can't stand in front of a group of people and talk for 45 minutes. You've got to get them engaged. So 
that's one of the things that's, that I've gleaned from in terms of how mm -hmm. do I approach training. I will tell you that while I serve across a broad range of industries, as you mentioned, the thing that's the same in all of those is the need to be able to develop healthy, effective relationships. So it doesn't matter if I'm talking to a plant manager or an attorney or a real estate agent. And I've had all those people in, in my courses and some of those at the same time. And yet what's common throughout all of them is they're just not sure how to get along with the team members. They don't know how to communicate. Well, there you got a common goal. And that's why, that's why I'm, able, I'm able to do what I do across such a broad audience. Mm -hmm. and, and how important is developing healthy and effective relationships to being a leader? The role of relationships, I think, is inextricably linked to leadership. And I say that because, first of all, leadership is never about ourselves. If we're leading somebody, there's somebody on our team. I, I once heard somebody say, if you think you're a leader and nobody's following you, you're just out taking a walk. So if we're leading people, then we have to have something more than a transactional relationship with them. And too often, that's all it, it, it is. I tell you what to do. As long as you don't mess up, we're fine. Well, that's not going to engender a commitment on your part because you don't even know if I care about you. So if we're going to be effective leaders, the relationships have to be a priority. You developed leaders in a variety of industries. What are some key principle strategies that you believe contribute to effective leadership? Part of thinking strategically is you've got to know your purpose. You've got to know your, your organizational purpose. That's typically going to be fairly easy to find. That's a vision statement or a mission statement. But within your teams, and, and I think this might appeal to many of your, your listeners, Chris, because if they've just come into leadership, they're probably not running the company yet, but they're running a team. It's really important to think through the purpose of that team because once we understand what the purpose of the team is, now we know how to direct our people in a way that's not just strategic, but that it actually in a way that develops them. If we don't know the purpose, we're working, but I'm not sure we're getting anywhere. How do you manage, though, in, in an environment right now that is volatile and changing all the time? How do you get your purpose of the team when the purpose is always changing? So, yeah, that's, that's a fluctuating market. And so, of course, part of it has to just be, you've got to be agile. Uh, I can think of a very famous company that uh, used to rent videos who, unfortunately, they're not around anymore because it seems to be that they took that approach. So, yes, of course, you have to be agile. At the same time, it's important to identify the things in your organization or your team that aren't going to change. That provides a strong core base, whether it's a team or an entire organization. From that strong base, those things that won't change, now you can engage the things that do change, and yet your purpose in your organization is not compromised. Your mission doesn't fail because your mission has to be able to transcend the fluctuations in the market. You still need to be adaptable, of course, but you need to still know where you're going to. I can see how that links to, in military, it's the idea of mission. And in your pastoring work, it's the idea of mission as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, the, the Bible isn't going to change, but maybe the way the music is delivered or, or the way the message is delivered or the support groups or our outreach is going to be different. So we can change that stuff, but let's not change the core stuff. Well, and right? it's interesting. The Apostle Paul really communicates some strong leadership skills that we can apply relevant to what you just mentioned. There's a point where Paul says, listen, I've become all things to all people 
so that some might be converted. That wasn't Paul being a people pleaser. Paul recognized if he was talking to the Jewish leaders, he would deliver in a certain way. But if he was talking to Greeks who focused on wisdom and philosophy, he talked to them in a different way. And he was very mm. effective. Well, we take that right into the marketplace. If I have two people working for me and one person is very detail-oriented and the other person is very relationally-oriented and I don't recognize that, one of those people is going to be offended because they're going to be bothered at how I'm engaged. So I've got to be able to talk to them detail-oriented person, and I've got to be able to go right to the next office and sit down in my chair, grab a cup of coffee, and talk to the relationship person, hmm. if I'm going to lead both of them on my team. Interesting. I like this idea of adaptable leadership and, and some of the key principles to effective leadership is knowing who your audience is and flexing or adapting your style to resonate with that particular audience. Mm -hmm. You know what, Chris? One of the things I've seen when people become new leaders one of the challenges for them often is to be able to recognize I'm now responsible for other people. And so I really, I really need to engage them. I need to find out who they are. What we encounter in Dale Carnegie as we're working with leaders, uh, particularly new leaders, at times is an approach that says, look, I'm the leader. I'm going to set how this team works. This is how I communicate. Individuals have said just straightforward. You know what? I'm just blunt. That's how I communicate. Well, that works for the 1% in the room who likes blunts. But if we're serving, then we've probably got to adjust our leadership style or at least our communication in a certain way that's going to connect with the individual. And the mm -hmm. unwillingness to do that, masked as commitment and conviction, uh, really ends up being Achilles' heel for certain leaders. Let's talk about that because I want to talk about, you know, these are highly skilled and competent people mm -hmm. and they often fail at leadership and they maybe fail to connect and inspire. So, so why does that happen? That is a, that's a challenging question. I'll take a stab at some based on what I've, what I've seen. One is we've got to think about why did we promote this person and put them into leadership? If we promoted them because we said they're a genius, they are outstanding in what they do. Well, then that's fine as an individual contributor because they can do their stuff all day. If we take that person and say, now, we'd like you to be responsible for these 25 people, that skill alone, as you mentioned earlier, is not going to be sufficient. So another way to look at it from a leader perspective, how we're going to promote is when we look at our individuals, are we looking at them for their relational skills, their emotional intelligence? Do they have the ability to get along with people? Are they gatherers? That's the person we're promoting. Now, we want them to bring skill with them. Sure, they have to know what they're doing. But if we promote because of character and relational abilities, I believe we're going to be far more effective with our teams. So it comes from like a selection perspective of that. We need to select the right people. Is there anything else that causes highly skilled and competent leaders to fail and connect and inspire the teams that they're leading? Well, something that can influence leaders like that is the idea that I was promoted because I'm really smart. And so therefore, that's the position I have to take. I have to continue to demonstrate that I'm smart because that validates me and it assures you that you made the right choice. Well, the thing about that is if you've gone into leadership, you've stretched out of your comfort zone by design. You're in a place where you're meant to grow. And so it goes to imposter syndrome. I talked to a young man about a year ago. He had just gotten promoted. And he was struggling because he said, you know, I just know like sooner or later they're going to figure out they picked the wrong guy. And I had to tell him, listen, 
If they put you in that place, they saw something in you that is valuable, you are not the wrong person. You just need to grow more. So that's what I would say. That idea of I've got to validate or assure my position, unfortunately, distracts us from actually building the team because it's more about us than it is about the team. I forgot where I read it. It was this quote about, don't prove yourself, improve yourself. That's great insight. I think that might be helpful for a lot of first-time managers. I want to talk about this because, you know, you've been in, in ministry, and I think this is where this idea, this concept of servant leadership comes from, right? So first off, let's begin with what is servant leadership? And what's, how is that mindset different from the other mindset we were talking about of like, it's got to be about me? I would define servant leadership as moving people towards a particular goal or objective because it benefits them and the organization. And that is really going to help me because I, I'm going to realize, okay, this might be a sacrifice for me, but this is really going to serve my team right now. This is really going to serve this individual. So I'll take the hits. I'll work the extra hours, certain portion time, because that's going to enable Chris to be a success. And it, and it goes back to that same idea that leadership is never about us, right? It's about something or someone else. Uh, and we've got to keep that focus. In your experience... What makes servant leadership hard to do? So at the core, I think as human beings, we are just naturally self-centered, you know, apart from any intervention or growth or anything like that. So I, I, I would say that. I know, I know that's me. That's who I am at my core mm -hmm. without any other involvement. So that's one thing that makes it hard. I think the other thing that can make it difficult, and as I've worked with leaders, I've seen some of them they haven't yet grasped it, is with the idea of servant leadership, I'm entrusting to a certain degree the success of my team to my team. I have to let go of some things and allow them to try some new things, except they're not the one who reports to the VP. I am. And so that, to some leaders, I guess that can appear to be risky. In other words, I'm not mm -hmm. sure if I'm going to, I'm not sure if I'm ready for Chris to take that on. I know he's really good, but I'm just not sure yet. So I'll do it. Well, that doesn't help the team. That certainly doesn't help you. And many of us have had someone in an organization who saw something in us when a lot of others didn't, and they were willing to stick their neck out for us and say, hey, you know what? I'll vouch for you. Put them on my team. Let's give them a try. And those people go on to be very successful. But initially, there was a risk for that leader. Yeah. And if it's always about me and proving myself, I'm probably never going to take that risk. No, it's, it's, there's too much at stake, right? I mean, I've mm -hmm. got it because I want the next promotion too. And so, uh, again, it becomes very myopic uh, and, and just centrally focused. It is a concept that people have heard of but may not necessarily be familiar with. Like if I can adopt the servant leader mindset, what would you say are some of the benefits that it could bring both to the leader and to the team? Let's start with the team just to sort of stay with that idea of it's about the other person. The benefit of servant leadership to the team is that that team is, number one, going to know that their leader is committed to them, that, that their leader has their best interests at heart. And that's especially important when a leader takes a team member and puts them over in a place where they wouldn't initially prefer, and yet that person trusts their leader that, okay, so this, this must be really good for at some point. So that's the first point. The team is going to be more motivated. Because when people know that someone cares for them, there's just a natural draw and it drives something in them 
to do a great job. Uh, so in the military, you'd hear this expression, I'd follow him to hell and back. That's a pretty bold statement. But the concept is, I know he's for me and he's for us, so I'll do what he asked me to do. So that's mm. the benefit to the team. And, and I happen to be part of a great team. My, my boss is very much interested in how I'm doing, how I'm succeeding. It just motivates me to want to continue to, to push higher. That's the benefit mm. of the team. The benefit to the individual leader, I believe, when it comes to servant leadership, you think about this. We, we all want to have a life that's meaningful, right? That there's fulfillment. And so Tim Keller, who was formerly the senior pastor at um, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, he passed away just last week. But he was talking about this idea of meaning one time. And he said, meaning is derived from purpose and significance. When we understand our purpose and that purpose is significant, it's meaningful. So now we come back to that leader. What's my purpose as a leader? Well, my purpose as a leader is to advance the organizational goals and make others successful. All right, I understand that. Does that matter? Is that significant? Absolutely, because there are people in front of me who are going to spend time with me and be shaped by me in a positive or negative way and either move up in the company or move out of the company. So when there's an acknowledgement that that's, that's my purpose, that's my significance, I find for many, that's extremely fulfilling because you can look and you can say, there's my team. They just, they just did it. I'm so proud of them. Versus making themselves significant and important. Yes. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, there I'm aware of a number of accounts where an individual uh, was leading a department, maybe kind of senior in the company, and they brought somebody in and said, hey, we want you to mentor this person. And so they did. They mentored them all the way up to one day when that person said, hey, we're going to have to let you go. And that person took their job. I think those examples are probably far and few between. The other example is thinking, well, if I mentor Chris, if I spend time with Chris, that's what's going to happen to me. Oftentimes, that's absolutely not what happens to me. What happens to me is, oh, this person, you want to get time with this person. We need to make sure that we get all of our team members at some point over with Chris because Chris just continues to turn out excellent leaders. You haven't lost your position. You actually have added significant and strategic value by divesting yourself and investing in others. So I've proven my, my worth by my ability to develop other people. Absolutely. If we've got somebody like that on our team, why are we going to get rid of that person? Right. Because now I can give that person literally anyone and they'll be able to improve them. Yes. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Cool. To wrap up this idea of servant leadership, someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, well, where do I begin? Where would someone begin their journey on servant leadership? If you've never thought about that concept before and you're used to a different model, the first part is you really... You have to be open to thinking a different way. That, that's the first part, because it's going to feel initially counterintuitive. But then the next thing I think for a person who's just starting out is it'll be beneficial for them to understand, not servant leadership first, but what's my purpose? What's the goal? Where are we going? Because what we're talking about here is different approaches to that goal. Once I know the goal, now I've got to think differently. Like, okay, what does servant leadership look like? It honestly might just be some act, something that we do with our team members. It might be something as simple as, hey, tell me the next course that you want to take. Okay, tell you what, we're going to figure out how to get funding to that. We're going to let you take that course. Hmm. It might be, hey, what, Chris, why don't you cut out early today? Because I know you want to get home. It's a big weekend. And I've got this covered. I'll take the rest of the afternoon for you. It begins with those little steps that cost us something. They have to cost us something. 
but demonstrate to somebody else that we are willing to pay that cost so that they could succeed. I think this is a great time for us to talk about change because change could be so hard. How do you help people change? Like what, what are some strategies or mindset shifts that you suggest individuals who maybe want to change something about them or maybe want to learn more about servant leadership? How do you get them to embrace change and see this as a good thing versus, you know, a negative? So I've benefited greatly from a book by Dr. Carol Dweck. She's a professor at Stanford now, I believe. She wrote a book called Mindset. She's a psychologist, spent 30 years studying human motivation and whatnot. And what she found out is you can boil it down to two mindsets, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And the fixed mindset says... You get it all when you're born. And people in a fixed mindset will do very well at something that's directly in their ability. But as soon as something gets difficult, they're not going to do that because if they do that thing and they don't have the ability, they'll fail and that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Growth mindset says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not so good at this today, but I can get better at it if I do these things. The key thing, I believe, when I think of those two mindsets, the key difference is effort. So the fixed mindset says, yeah, efforts for people who don't have ability, but I have ability. So when I do this, it's easy. It's easy for me. Growth mindset says, yeah, effort's hard. Yeah, effort requires something of me. But typically the things that are most meaningful in this life, they require something. And we can accomplish things through effort. So the individuals, okay, how do I start with the growth mindset? That's the first, like I'm willing, I'm open, I'm going to try to. The second thing is, at Dale Carnegie, we have what we call the transformation formula. It's just a way to think about the topic we're discussing right here. The transformation formula has three elements. And that first element is emotional change. What do I need to change about how I think, right? So I believe it's King Solomon in Proverbs said, as a man thinks in his heart or as a woman thinks in her heart, so they are. And so first we recognize the mindset. And in, in our Dale Carnegie courses, we attempt to change that mindset because people have voluntarily come and said, I want to grow. That's EC. The uh, emotional mindset will now drive EC, which is behavioral change. We're going to do things different. If your listeners get off this call and they think, that's why I want to start serving leadership, I really believe in it, they're probably going to do something. Even now, we just gave examples of what to do. So now our behavior is changing. Well, when our behavior changes, the results change. Now we've got performance change. So emotional change plus behavioral change equals performance change. That's transformation. And we see that in Dale Carnegie courses all the time. Got it. So this is why it's important that the way I'm writing this is mindsets and actions equals performance. Yes. Yes. Right. Certainly. Cool. And so for anyone listening, I think it's really important to know that you know, in order for you to get that performance, you're probably reading a lot of books or listening to a lot of podcasts like this one, trying to get the to-dos. That's one part. The other part is the mindset. What's the right mindset? Or, or even, you know, it's not just growth or, or fixed, but also are there limiting beliefs that are holding you back? Because if you have limiting beliefs of proving yourself versus improving yourself, you may stay stuck as a standard command versus moving into a servant leadership model. So one of the ways we drive home that point in the Dale Carnegie course is we'll ask our participants to talk about an achievement that was significant in the past. People can talk about that because it already happened. Part of the reason why we do that is we want to be able to highlight so that 
what you did in the past, what it took to do that thing in the past, that's still you. That sort of pushes away, or at least is a catalyst to pushing away beliefs that say, man, I can't do this. Well, you did that. We think you can do this too. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important point because it's just a, a, around self-efficacy. And part of achieving goals is believing that you can achieve it. And right. if you right. don't look to your past success, but then also another element is celebrating progress and making small steps towards it. And then gaining that momentum will help you achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So I think what you're pointing to is the, the concept of looking back in the past. How have I achieved this? Use that confidence going forward which is why we need to celebrate our successes, I think. Yes, yes. And when we do it that way, I don't think it's boasting. It's not grandstanding. It's simply trying to think, who am I? And who was I there? And am I still that person? And we would say the answer is yes, you are still that person. So it's, it's for the purpose of instilling confidence. Because one of the reasons why people take the Dale Carnegie course is they want to become more confident leaders. So we've got a whole slew of ways that we help them to build that confidence. I like that because I think this is a podcast for first-time managers and they may lack confidence. And so, you know, if you are interested in building confidence, Dale Carnegie can help out. But if you can't afford Dale Carnegie, uh, look at your past successes and and recognize Mm -hmm. that you are still the same person who did that and you get to develop that even further. Mm -hmm. One of the things though that people struggle with with regards to development and you may experience this a lot, I don't have time. I can't attend training because I don't have time. What are some practical ways to overcome that in the midst of like busy schedules, demanding professional lives, and now like even more work to do based on cuts and and stuff? Yes. uh, One thing I would say about that, Chris, is that that is, I believe, a leadership issue pretty close to the top Hmm. in terms of what we're communicating. So we're running the train fast, running it fast, running it fast. Okay, so you got to think, is that short-term gain or long-term gain? So that's going to trickle down to you, individual department head, who is trying to run as fast as the train is running doesn't have time. So so in the big sense, I would appeal to anybody who's on the call who's at that C-suite level, slow the train down. But for the rest of us, there are a couple of things that, that come into play when we're trying to think about, okay, so what do I do about time? If you show me a person's calendar or their schedule, I can pretty much tell you what's important to that person. And so those are things that, those are kind of deeper thoughts that we have to think about. Uh, when you think about margin, the question would be, okay, do you have margin in your work? Now we're not talking about just work, we're talking about outside of work too. Is there any margin there? Oh, that's one to, one to think about. Unfortunately, oftentimes new leaders who just come in a position, one of the things that it appears that they would neglect is that the professional development. I just, I just don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. I've had leaders in my courses for a brand new leader and I'll ask them, Hey, how long have you been in your role? They'll say, uh, about two years. And this is the first professional development thing they're taking. Now, again, that's partly a leadership issue. Why did that person take so long? Why did you let them go for so long? But as an individual, you know, the cliche is Rome wasn't built today. Right. And so micro learning, that's came up in about the past five or 10 years, you know, where smaller doses, but the cumulative effect is one that can, can bring about change. Mm. So you look at your schedule and say, I don't have two hours, but I probably got 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've got 30 minutes. And every week I listen to, you can manage that podcast, right? It's not the whole week, it's 30 minutes. But six months of listening to that, 
and something's something's changing how i'm thinking mm -hmm. yeah i like that um you don't have to take two hours or a full day you can learn something and i, I actually think that going back to adult learning principles that micro learning approach is actually even better and there's more learning transfer that occurs there because you're learning what you need you know adult learning principle i forget what number it is but we focus on things that are relevant and timely. And so the best way to learn that is just a little bit, um, enough information that what you need to get it done. And then you do it, you learn from that. And so I think there's also right. not taking in information as learning, but also reflecting on your experience and what you can do better is another source of learning. So Chris, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that word reflection, that's so important. And we live in a culture that runs so fast and so loud that it can seem like we just don't have time to stop and think for a minute. But that reflecting, we've, we've got to quiet our soul and we've got to think through, okay, why did I just react that way in that meeting? Mm -hmm. And that, again, that doesn't have to be a three-hour personal retreat. It can be 10 minutes, but it has to be 10 minutes focused where you put your phone away, close your laptop, and you just think it through. Why, why did I do that? Because now we're getting back to things like purpose and values and vision which is, mm -hmm. whether we're aware of it or not, is, is driving us. So mm -hmm. something your listeners might be interested in is Greg McKinnon wrote a book called Essentialism, The Disciplined Art of Pursuing Less. And uh, without giving the book away, the, the power in that book is McKinnon talks about choice. We have the ability to choose. Now, I understand in the work environment, you can't choose, I'm going to choose three-day work week, but we can choose perhaps how we spend the day. Now, do I answer the emails in the morning? Or do I answer them at night? I, not at night, but at the end of the day. And the idea of essentialism is all the stuff that's superfluous to what I do, I move that out of the way. And what remains is the stuff that I can go big on. Some of that should be developed. Thank you for pointing to that book of essentialism. I think it's super key. And also just mentioning you know, the, the power of reflection as well. I know from what we talked to uh, pr prior to this interview, we met and you talked about your purpose can you remind me what your purpose in life is? Yes. So my purpose is to contribute to human flourishing by equipping others to thrive. And that purpose from back to the army days, right up to current, even though all those assignments were different, that purpose has been the theme that's run through. And it's the purpose that gives me energy. It motivates me. It makes me excited about engaging others so that they can thrive. That's why I'm on the planet. And that's why you're on my podcast. So thank you so much. <laughs> I think there's this theme of that you've been living with purpose and living with intention. And first-time managers may not necessarily focus in on that right now. But out of curiosity, why do you think it's important for younger people in their earlier or earlier in their careers to to ask those questions, to live with intention and live with purpose? Like why now? So the humble young person is going to say, okay, I don't really know much and I've got a lot to learn out here. That's a great mindset. Where that can go awry is, well, if they say this is what we're supposed to do, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. And so we just get caught up in the shuffle of all that. You see that particularly in business. You know, people have in their mind this mental ladder that apparently we're all supposed to climb. And so they start climbing it. The problem is they wake up at 40 and they say, what did I just do for the last 20 years? So when we're talking about intentionality as a young person, yes, the purpose is important. And then you almost have to swim against the tide to a certain degree in our culture because so much is reactionary. We put out fires. You hear that expression all the time. I put out fires instead of being proactive. 
proactive is, is going almost in a different direction. But the thing about it is, oftentimes when we see that person going in a different direction, we're drawn to them. Hey, I wonder what she's thinking. I wonder why she's going that way. And that courage to be intentional, it, that's a leadership quality. Mm-hmm. It's counterculture, actually. <laughs> yes. And, and so what advice do you have for people, A, to find or at least discover? Let me figure out which camp you are. There's a camp that says that your purpose finds you, and there's a camp that says you find your purpose. So what do you believe? Okay, I don't know what this will cast me as because I'm on both ends of that. Uh, so I, I told you I plan to be a career officer and uh, army officer. And then that didn't work out. I thought business. But the pastoral ministry... That found me. I mean, I mean that I, I didn't come up. I didn't have desire, aspirations for that. It was just clear that that's what I was supposed to do. So on that hand, I'd say, yeah, it finds you. At the same time, my life, especially in the last five to eight years, I know the big purpose, but then I've sought to find what does that look like? What's the context? Is that corporate training? Is that being a high school teacher? Is that being a counselor? So in that case, I pursued it. Well, I mean, I had enough of a purpose to get me going, but it wasn't clear. It wasn't defined. Mm-hmm. I had to look for it. I had to try things. I had to read. I had to talk to people. I had to be actively engaged in the development of my purpose. Mm. I was an active player in that. Mm. Interesting. I, th- I think that the lesson there is that on your life journey, sometimes the doors will open and those are the doors you should walk through. And sometimes the doors are closed and it's directing you somewhere else. So the thing that that we've got to keep an eye on is, uh, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the idea of effort, some things they'll just kind of fall into our lap and that's, that's great. We think, well, this is what I should do. But there are a lot of things that they will happen in our lives, but it will require great effort for them to happen. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's the whole idea. I, I taught my kids when they're young, hard work is good. Just a simple sentence they can remember because effort really does make a difference mm-hmm. and you're not cheating you know you're not striving unless you are striving you're going to know but that's not striving that's just being consistent and perseverant towards a particular goal that kind of resilience and perseverance that's again that's a leadership trait. Mm-hmm. we want someone like that leading us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so you know if you're listening to this podcast and you've gone through some more challenging times understand that that doesn't not make you a leader that actually could make you a leader because you've persevered and, and you've had effort. It actually makes you better, stronger, more resilient. And resiliency, I think, is such a strong leadership trait to have, especially during this time when things are changing a lot. So, um, Well, and say, as a leader, you know, there, there's a pretty big dose of vulnerability, you know, because you're out, you know, leaders lead from the front, of course. So you're vulnerable. And so in times of difficulties, you fail. But as a leader, when you fail, you kind of fail in front of everybody, right? But resiliency says, yes, I failed. This is what I learned from it. This is what I'm doing different. And tomorrow morning, I'm jump back in the saddle, and I'm going to keep on the journey. Mm-hmm. So yes, you're vulnerable, but resiliency can carry you through that vulnerability so that you end up accomplishing your goal. Brett, I love where our conversation went today, and uh, I just want to be conscious of time. We've talked about many things. What are some key takeaways that you want someone who's listening to this conversation to remember? 
I'll say a couple of things, and I'll, I'll be brief. That's a famous pastor saying, I'll be brief. But, yeah. but you, I, know you, you know you're going to be in your seat for another half hour when a pastor yeah. says that, <laughs> FYI, right? Raise that land in the plane anytime soon. So one, I, I, would have to, I would go back to that, think about that leadership is not about us. And so that's, that's important, but that doesn't negate excellence, our own personal excellence. So that's why people listen to this podcast, because I want to get better as a leader. That's great. And the purpose of you getting better as a leader is going to affect other people. Uh, the second thing I, I really have to, uh, I have to borrow from Eleanor Roosevelt, and she was talking about leadership one time, and she said, good leaders inspire others to have confidence in them. Great leaders inspire others to be confident in themselves. Hmm. Two different things happening there. So I want to convince you all that I'm the best leader. All right, that, that, okay, that's a good leader, sort of. But when I'm focused on, I want you to know, you matter in this company, you can make a difference, and I'm here to help you as best I can to accomplish that. And they start believing it, and they start doing things. What a sense of fulfillment with that. I uh, love that Eleanor Roosevelt quote, so thank you. For those who don't know about Dale Carnegie, what does the company do? So we typically like to journey with both individuals and organizations, and as opposed to simply a one-off come to this meeting. And so to do that, to be part of an individual or a corporation's leadership journey, we would say, well, we've got a number of things that can help you on that journey. First place is the Dale Carnegie course. That course is just a great way for anybody to grow in confidence, communication, leadership skills, those kind of things. So that's one thing. But then we've got a course for first-time leaders. It's called Develop Your Leadership Potential. That's going to serve that strata of the company, if you will. And then we have a leadership training for results. And that's for leaders who've been doing it for a while. And they just kind of maybe develop some bad habits that they want to shake off. So all of those, when you put those together, you could, a company could look at that and say, my new hires go through this, my new leaders go through this, my senior leaders go through this. And there's a consistency to it. So that's a big part of what we do. Uh, the other thing that people would probably recognize or they wouldn't know to call this is we offer a course called High Impact Presentations, and it is exclusively public speaking. So in, in any Dale Carnegie course, people are going to stand up and speak in front of others, but that's not the focus. But in the High Impact Presentations, that absolutely is. And that's a good course for anybody who basically has to talk to more than two people. And so it's, a, it's an intense two days. That's the first course I took with Dale Carnegie. And uh, we find oftentimes companies will send select leaders to that particular course. Awesome. Thanks. And you have another company. What was it called? Yeah. So that's True North to Grow. And that's, uh, again, so I'll work with uh, a client, say, for example, who they're trying to scale the company and they realize that we don't really have vision. We, we never thought about it. So I'll help them with that. Uh, I'm working with another client kind of in that same realm, but just kind of we're using a psychometric tool. Uh, like a personality tool, hmm. walking him through that. And then finally, public speaking. I mean, when I do that myself, but also helping people become more effective. And, and there are things to learn that can really make a difference. Mm -hmm. So where can they go to find out more about Dale Carnegie? And where can they go to find out about True North? I would say for Dale Carnegie, you could just go online because we've got a website and you can go on there and you can locate where you are mm -hmm. uh, and then the local franchise and whatnot. Certainly, if you have any particular questions, I'm glad to do that. Um, the way to get in touch with me is best through my email address, which I think you have that, Brett Campbell, mm -hmm. 166. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to know about True North to Grow, if there's some way I can serve you with that, same thing, that email address, 
love to jump on a call with you and help you in any way I can. Cool. Awesome. Also as well, I believe we're going to drop the link to your LinkedIn as well. So if they want to connect with you yes. there, mm -hmm. you can connect Certainly. with them on LinkedIn. Perfect. Brett, I really enjoyed this conversation. It was a pleasure getting a chance to meet you. Thank you for sharing your time and your expertise with my audience today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I'm honored to, to get to make a small deposit there for your for your people. So. Yeah, and you get to live your mission out of helping people thrive. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for listening to another episode of You Can Manage That. For more information about Brett, you can check out his email or his LinkedIn. You can also check out the company that Brett works for, Dale Carnegie. And if you'd like to find out more information about me, you can go to chrisasper.com. All of these links are going to be in the show notes. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. Join us again next time when we talk with other leaders and experts so you can manage that. Bye for now. Thank you.